Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. The Get Over Yourself podcast is brought to you by Almost Heaven, beautiful compact home use sauna kits, ancestral supplements, grass-fed organ meats in a capsule, DNA Fit, genetic testing for custom diet and exercise recommendations, Integro Health, high-potency liquid probiotic called Flourish, Organifi, organic powdered superfoods, delicious green, gold, and red powders, Wild Idea Buffalo, sustainable, grass-fed, beyond organic, and check out the bradkerns.com slash shop page. That's my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. Don't expect that it's going to be handed to you, but ask for help and be willing to listen to true criticism because criticism, true criticism, is constructive. Why are some people able to actually pull off the goal? So they come up with the idea, they make, they see it through to reality. How did they do it? And how can I learn from the way they approach that goal? So, you know, think back 20 years. We weren't, we had cell phones, but we weren't using them as communications tools. And we weren't using them to the ability that we do. So now my job is just really different. It used to be that I came in, I read out loud for a while, I went out, I did a story, and then the second I got into my car, the day was done. I want to enthusiastically recommend DNA Fit, cutting-edge genetic testing to deliver a personal profile that will guide your fitness and nutrition goals. So simple, you spit in a tube, mail it off, and soon you get by email the super cool infographic where it delivers all these important insights and elements of your genetic profile at a glance. How you metabolize carbs, caffeine, vitamin D, lactose, and much more. My exercise profile was mind-blowing because it revealed my genetic muscular makeup to be 54% power strength and only 46% endurance. As a lifelong endurance athlete, I've been banging my head against the wall, training in a manner that was in conflict with my genes. Don't wait 20 years making mistakes like I did. Find out what diet and exercise patterns are most aligned with your genetics at dnafit.com. This stuff used to be super expensive. It was a few hundred dollars. Now it's pennies. Not really, but it's a great deal and you get 30% off if you just put in the code. G-O-Y-30. Check out everything at dnafit.com. It's time for the Deirdre Fitzpatrick Show. Can you get a more fast-moving, high-energy guest? I don't think so. She is the queen of the Sacramento news scene. She comes off professional and clean. When you listen to the show, you'll know what I mean, and you will get lit up with motivation and enthusiasm. Oh my gosh, it is so fun to connect with her. She's been the anchor in Sacramento, KCRA Channel 3, for over 20 years, and she specializes in health and fitness and wellness. She has been a participatory journalist for this whole time, running the local marathon 
endurance races, even doing uh, Ironman triathlon to her credit and reporting on it and bringing me on to the uh, station every few years to talk about keto or primal or whatever I got going on, my kids' fitness charity. So we've had great connections over the years helping promote healthy living in Sacramento. Uh, but one of the things she's done for Hearst Media that owns her channel and, of course, many others across the country is be the representative at the Olympic Games, uh, covering it for many, many stations. So I don't know if you're familiar with how news works, but she'll do like a one-minute segment live from Sochi at the Olympics or Beijing or wherever. She'll do a one-minute segment like 48 times in one day saying the same thing for Cincinnati and Sacramento and Phoenix and Portland. And oh my gosh, how can one person do such an incredible job, you will see that she has her act together. She has so many wonderful peak performance attributes and daily schedule things that I think you'll take a lot from. And guess what? She has her own podcast called Dying to Ask. And it's where she gets into uh, successful uh, athletes, authors, people in the community, and asks them pointed questions to bring out their success formula and really help the the listener uh, embody some of these things. So definitely go check out her podcast, Dying to Ask. In this show, we sit down and get to know her better. Especially interesting was her journey into her current role as an anchor in a top 20 media market, a very intense and competitive uh, journey it is to get there. And the happenstance and the good luck and the resolve and all these things mixed together for a success formula, I think you'll really, really love. So here we go with my old friend from Sacramento from the KCRA Studios, Channel 3. That's where we recorded right after I did her show. I was a guest on Dying to Ask. So go uh, start with that show and look at all the other interesting people she has. And then we go into it for Get Over Yourself. Enjoy. No, you don't have to wake up at 3 a.m. to be successful. That's just her game. (sighs) 3 a.m. Oh, my gosh. Here we go, Deirdre. Deirdre Fitzpatrick, KCRA, Channel 3, Sacramento. I feel like we're already relaxed and totally warmed up because you're coming off a long, hard day of work here at uh, 8.30 in the morning. Yes, I, that's true. That's true. I get up at 2.25, so I'm <laughs> I'm a good six hours into this day. And then I came in here to set up for a podcast and we were going to have our fun. And then you said, hey, come on to the news. And I so did. you just dr- dragged me into a different room. We sat on a yellow couch. I'm wearing my yellow Ollie G sweatsuit that listeners are familiar with it was, website it was a, viewers. A lot of yellow. It was all about the yellow. It was a lot of yellow, but that's kind of how I roll. I mean, I just I look for opportunities. And you were here. We have five hours of news to fill. I needed to talk about a podcast we had done. And I thought you're here. You've got a great book. Let's put you on and share some information. Incredible. It's always how you roll. Everything's always. everything's last minute. There's uh-huh. no advanced planning. No, no, no. There's yeah. a lot of advanced planning, but <laughs> then there's also seeing the opportunity. So that's that's probably the thing that I'm known for is seeing an opportunity and then turning it fast. Yeah, that's... but I actually I actually do a lot of planning. I'm I'm a total planner, but then I'm also kind of an opportunist in right. the best of ways. Right. <laughs> um, and this is especially important when you're floating around at the Olympics, which is kind of your 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 claim to fame here in a way yeah. that you've gone to ten. 10, 10. 10 separate games. 10 separate games. <laughs> so that's every winter, summer, <laughs> winter, shocked. summer. Yes. Since since yeah. 2000, the Sydney Games were my first Olympics. And since that time, my partner, Mike Domalog, and I have gone as a team to every Olympics for our company, Hearst Television. 
And so are you covering it for more than just the Sacramento station? I cover it for 30 stations. Really? Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. So we're based out of Sacramento, but when we go, we represent 30 Hearst television stations across the country. So everywhere from Boston to Kansas City to Orlando, to Sacramento, to Monterey, like all across the country. And so when we go, we gather information and stories about lots of different athletes that would be appealing to all of those stations. But then we also do live reports for those stations as well. So I will set up on what would they call a platform where they line up TV cameras um, from end to end. And I sit there for six and a half hours doing live shots every couple of minutes for a different station. So there's a little dry erase board where they write down the names of the anchors, the station, the city, and then which story they want to talk about. And so that's what I do. And and you might go and do, I do anywhere from 50 to 60 live shots in a day over six and a half hours. Oh my god! Isn't that funny? And so then and each one has to sound like it's the only right. one you've done yeah. that day. You're Cincinnati's best friend. Hey, it's Deidre Absolutely. at the Olympics. Absolutely. And you get to know them because you over the course of a month, you're talking to the same anchors each day. So you get to know, oh, this is, you know, John and Lucy in Cincinnati. And yesterday they asked me about this. So it's kind of, it makes it really fun because you can play with them and you can have a lot of fun and make it personal. And that's where having that kind of inner competition comes from because you got to make it a game. You got to look for the opportunity to make it fun. And where are you? Oh, what was I going to ask? Sorry. Um, You're still thinking about 30 TV stations. It's, uh, doing yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Wait a <laughs> sec. I was going to ask. Uh, um, uh, so each time you're on. Oh, oh. Um, and who are they? Who, how are they introducing you? I mean, so you, just, you, the Cincinnati people have never seen you except for on the Olympics. Exactly. So I appear for a month and then I kind of go away <laughs> <laughs> as, as any kind of like special correspondent would. But, you know, they'll usually introduce it. Oh, it's, you know, day four of the Olympics in Pyeongchang and uh, West Two's Deirdre Fitzpatrick is out there. So, you know, typically where I work in, in Sacramento, I'm KCRA 3's Deirdre Fitzpatrick. Uh, but they will introduce me as theirs. You're more than just KCRA's Deirdre Fitzpatrick. Everyone claims you. You know, what's funny, though. My kids, whenever they see one of my coworkers, they'll say, oh, that's KCRA 3's Brian Hickey. I'm like, that's not actually our name. <laughs> but to them, <laughs> because they hear the branding all the time, it kind of is. The branding. So how did that come about? Did you pitch the station in 2000? Like, hey, maybe we should send someone actually to Sydney no, or what? There, there was actually a plan in place uh, to send a crew to Sydney and they sent three, they sent three people and I was asked. So I, I didn't even know it was coming up, but they needed somebody who was really resourceful and what we in my business call a utility player, which means that you can make something out of nothing sometimes, which is what we do a lot of the time. And so they need somebody who could be very self-driven and creative and probably have some fun while you're there, because if you don't, it's a tough assignment to do. And so I was asked to do it and I went and it ended up being the kind of assignment that changes your career and takes you down a completely different path than what you had intended on. So you're a, you're a known utility player in the news I'm game. a utility player. Yeah. I would say that that's probably a fair statement. I'm a worker. I think I'm probably known as a pretty productive person. You know, I, I am a, I'm somebody who has to have like a list of things to do and I enjoy crossing the things off. And I, I love creating content. So for me, that's 
that's the, the fun in what I do is creating the content and telling the stories and meeting people and getting to do something different each day. As opposed to, is there another category of news person where they walk in and read the teleprompter, like uh, William Hurt on the Absolutely. broadcast news with, yeah. the, with the earpiece going in so they can uh, right. tell them how to pronounce certain words? And well, things. I do have an earpiece and occasionally I'll be reminded that I just mispronounced something. But yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think in any job, in any career, you have the people who come in and they do what's needed to do it. And that's fine. And then you have the people who need to do the work because that's just the way they're wired. And I'm wired the latter. So how does that work on your day-to-day responsibilities here when you show up every morning for the news? So when I show up, um, my day starts at about 2.25. That's when the first alarm goes off. And I spend the first hour at home prepping. So my, my personal routine, and I know you have a routine of what you do every day. Mine is I get up. I have some coffee. There's no cold plunge going on at 225. <laughs> you have my permission to skip there that. There is no cold plunge going on. Um, you have some coffee at 225. I do. So but, but occasionally there is a 15-minute workout to wake up. Sometimes I do that. I started doing that a few years ago, and I found that it kind of got my brain going, which was great. Just yeah. to get the blood flowing. Physical so, movement. Okay. A little physical movement to wake up. Um, so I do that, and then I, I spend the first hour at home. I read. So I read every newspaper you can think of online. I might watch the news from the night before. I catch up. I go through my emails to see what happened with our evening cruise. I communicate with our producers. If I needed to, I can get into our rundowns from home just to see what's going on. Um, so I come in. When I walk in the door, I am I know what's happened overnight. So I can sit down and I can start opening up the scripts the producers have been writing all night long, and I can proofread. So I'm, I always say I'm kind of like a glorified English teacher at that point. My job is to go in and look for mistakes, look for typos, uh, as a veteran person to look for contextual things that maybe do or do not make sense and then to just suggest. So, but when, by that point, if I'm reading a story and I think, oh, that's not the right number, I already know it's not the right number. My, my short-term memory is remarkable. Long-term, not so much, but like short-term, if I read it an hour ago and I've read all the, the things that happened overnight, I can go in there and fix something in a script, no problem. And then the script's going to appear on the teleprompter, so it's got to be tight, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so my job is to really give, make, to, to put my voice into the scripts, which usually means it's tight, it's fast, it's super conversational, but also digestible. So if I don't understand it, then it ha- I have to rewrite it in a way that I'll understand it. And if I'm not interested in it, then I usually tweak it a little bit to make it interesting to me. Like if you had a health study, um, oh, here's an example. Like this morning we had a story about this new illness that's been detected in kids, and it's very similar to polio. Okay. So super important, especially if you're affected by it, but not maybe the most interesting to nine out of 10 people. So my job was to take that story and make it interesting. So, you know, I might rewrite it in a way that if you're home and you're running around getting ready at 530 in the morning, my my goal is to make you stop what you're doing. And excuse us all <laughs> and then then and get stuck in traffic <laughs> because you got the store and then you got to watch the traffic report exactly see it's an evil story. it's all about kcra it's all about start and end with kcra <laughs> i got delayed by deirdre's fascinating story and then i got a new route because i watched the little exactly. traffic count right <laughs> is there anything like a 
insight that you have from reading in the middle of the night that you want to bring right to the right to the front table? Sometimes, you know, yeah. sometimes I'll say, hey, did you guys see that thing about such and such? And the producer said, no, where'd you see that? Oh, I saw it on such and such. Let's see if we can find it. Brad Kearns texted me the previous That's, night. Sometimes that happens right. too. You know, like I have a good friend who is a pilot, lives in Lake Tahoe. And anytime there's any kind of air disaster anywhere in the world, he will text me what the pilots are saying on the pilot chat, which is always an interesting place to get more information or say, Hey, you guys should look at this. Or that's just like the accident that we had in such and such. So yeah, sometimes there's a lot of that too. So starting at 225, a little, little physical movement, then you're just on all over it. The day is front ended. So it starts off fast. And then when do you go live on the, on the, in the studio? So I'm typically on by about 450 or 455. Yeah. And then you're doing, are you doing repeats of the stories for the different news? Somewhat. The shows have a different feel. A lot mm. of the content is the same. We'll kind of massage it, rewrite it to give it a different feel in case you happen to have watched four hours of news, in which case I would say you should get outside and go take a walk as well. But yeah, you give it a different kind of a feel, but, but the content is generally the same. So you've been at this here in Sacramento for a long time. 20 years, did 20 you tell years, me? 20 years, yeah. 20 years. Was this your, this couldn't have been your first gig. It was It's a major market, right? No, you know what's funny? I've actually been doing what I've been doing, reading out loud, which is basically what I do um, since I was 19. Reading out loud? That's what you tell people on, what the, I tell on the airplane? What do you do? Oh, I, I read, I out, read loud. out loud. Yeah. Oh, do you work at the library? No. I wish I did. That would be a cool job. But no, I, I started doing this when I was 19 years old. I was I went to school at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri, and the interesting thing about the journalism school there is it's the only uh, college in the country that owns an NBC affiliate. So the college the owns co- an NBC the affiliate. University owns the NBC affiliate. It's called KOMU, and so when you get into the journalism school in your junior year, part of your curriculum, if you're in the broadcast journalism sequence, is you go out and you do shifts at the TV station. And so you go out as a reporter. So at the age of 19, 20, I was doing what I'm doing now. Now, I mean, hopefully I'm doing it better now, but that's what I did back then, which is kind of crazy to think about. I mean, I couldn't legally go out and buy myself a drink, but I was on television telling people what happened that day. And that was part of your education. It getting, was. Yeah. Yeah. Getting units or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that led to your first job somewhere else? Or what did you do from there? So I had, while I was there, I worked at a news talk radio station. And the station was sold one week after I got the job. And the station was sold to a man who then came in and fired everyone at the station with the exception of one person. And that one person was me. And the reason he kept me was because I knew the computer system. And I think I was making like $4.50 an hour at that point. So (laughs) here I was the only one who was kind of You there. What's your name? Computer girl. You're staying. Now, to be positive, everybody else was hired back on. But but it turned into this really interesting opportunity because I went from working at this one little very small rinky-dink station. Radio only, this is? It was. Uh To working for an owner that owned five stations, which meant that I was all of a sudden in a building with a lot of really experienced people, even though it was a small town. And so I did, I did news talk radio. I did the news. And then one day they were looking for a co-host for an afternoon radio drive, uh, afternoon drive show on the AM station. And they said, I think you'd be really good at that. And I was 20. 
And I said, yeah, I'd be great at that. And so that was my first full-time job was at the age of 20 while I was still going to college. I co-hosted an afternoon news talk radio program. Every every day? Every day, Monday through Friday. It was fantastic. And did you have some preparation time before you went on the air? I mean, how not much, really, how big because a I was coming was from like you know calculus, so <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> but what I had was I had a I had a really remarkable co-host who was uh, about twenty years older than me and super patient and kind and a wonderful teacher and mentor. And the truth is, most people didn't know how young I was. I had for a woman, I had a very deep voice for the age that I was. I guess so. Yes, I, I did. Is that, is that true today, or has your voice? Oh, it's probably up. about the same. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's funny. I, I People, for the most part, didn't know how young I was until once in a while I would say something that only a 20-year-old would say. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's so hot today in Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was kind of my first my first broadcast paying gig. And it was a really awesome. Still to this day, one of the greatest times I've had in my job was working there. What do you do on the afternoon drive time? You're uh, mixing in with um, interviews. Different- you did you did yeah. a lot of interviews, which is where my my early getting to ad lib and ask people questions on the fly came from. So I remember interviewing a lot of like D list celebrities. So a lot of people who had been on the Love Boat would come through Columbia, Missouri uh-huh. for whatever you know reason. If you had guest hosted on the Love Boat, you probably came through there at some point, and I probably had an opportunity to interview you, which was kind of cool. Um, but you did that and then you, you pitched to news and some of it was just, you know, taking calls from some of the listeners too. And then where, where'd that lead? So that then led to graduating, uh, Columbia, Missouri. And then I took a job in Des Moines, Iowa, and I lived in Des Moines, Iowa for three years and I had a fantastic job there and I was a weekend anchor there. So when you're, when you're graduated, you aspire to a career in, in television, you're on this, uh, wild goose chase to find an open spot at any size market. And then I guess the ambition, generally speaking, is people want to keep going up to a bigger and bigger market. Yeah, that's kind of how most people start out, I suppose. And my my early ambitions were I thought, oh, it'd be really cool to work overseas or maybe to work on a magazine show or work at a network. Um, so those were, I think everybody kind of had those big goals. And then somewhere along the line, sometimes your life changes. And you see that what you have is actually pretty darn good. So that's, you know, to bring it back full circle, that's where the Olympic thing came in. So by the time I got sent to the Olympics, I was already, I had two feet out the door where I was. I was ready to move on and do other things. Where were you? I was here. Oh, but I never had, I never had any intention of staying here. This was going to be like a year and a half, two years. Just Sacramento, as Ben Stiller said, a secondary market. Remember on the, (laughs) on the movie, uh, what was it called? Brad's Dilemma or something, the movie title. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, I'm from Sacramento. It's a secondary market. I know. It's a best kept secret. The audience booze in the the Sacramento movie theater. It is the best kept secret. Look, we're here. It's a great secret. What, an hour and a half from the Bay Area, the beautiful city, San Francisco, and all that great stuff. And then we're a couple hours from Tahoe. It's and incredible all these like, great, I mean, from a lifestyle perspective, it's been a great place, but I never had any intention of staying here. I didn't so know when, that. So when the Olympic thing came up, all well, wait, of a sudden- Wait, you went to Moines to Sacramento? I went to Moines to Sacramento. Man, your Which career, at the time was yeah. a big, was a huge, huge leap. Sacramento is a top 20, 25 market. 20, yeah. So and, how'd and, you do that, Deirdre? Um, from I, Des Moines, they took a- So here's here's how people used to get jobs in TV. <laughs> so what happened was you would record- VHS yourself, tape. Yes, you would. You would record yourself on a VHS tape. 
and you would make, they call, you called it your reel, your resume reel. And then you would take these VHS tapes and you would borrow another VHS machine from someone and you would make copies of these recordings, right? And then you would mail these tapes out to TV stations around the country. And then you would end up in a stack of tapes. Like there might be for one job at a TV station, there might be 200 of those VHS tapes lined up with just somebody's name on the side. And then news directors sit there and they would pop those tapes in. And the average time that they kept those tapes in was anywhere from five to seven seconds. 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 <laughs> Deirdre seconds. from Des Moines. Here we go. Yeah. So they would pop it in, pop it out. And, and that's how that's how people originally used to get jobs, you know, 20 years ago. And so the way I ended up in Sacramento, I never applied for a job here. I had applied for a job in San Francisco through a friend of mine. Apparently that friend who didn't have a job open sent my tape, my VHS tape to a news director in Sacramento. And at the same time, a headhunter from uh, a media consulting company called Magid had brought my tape, same tape, to the same news director. So the consultant shows the news director, he goes, oh, let me show you this girl. She's in Des Moines. And I, you know, she's a little raw, but you know, she's got some potential. Popped it in and Ed Chapuis, who was the name of the guy that, who eventually hired me, um, said, wait a minute. I remember, I've seen this girl. I remember I was in Des Moines. I remember that seven second clip. No, you know what he remembered? My big red Eddie Bauer polar parka, which was the only thing that would keep you warm in Des Moines. And I only had one coat because I had no money working there. And so I wore it in every single time I was on camera. So he, he remembered it. And that's actually how I ended up out here. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code Brad20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. I'm pleased to present BRAD grass-fed whey protein isolate superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. 
Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the super fuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. So you came out for an interview, I guess. You, yeah. you somehow made it from the I just figured big it was, pile. I didn't even know I didn't even know where Sacramento was when I got that phone call. But since I was job hunting at the time, I had my Rand McNally Atlas by because this is pre-social media and pre, you know, really using a cell phone to do any of that stuff. So I took my atlas out and I pull out the California page as I'm on the phone with him. And I saw Sacramento, I saw Lake Tahoe, and I saw San Francisco. And literally, I looked at him and I'm like, wow, well, that's worth the free trip out just to look at it, if nothing else. And I came out here and then that's how I ended up in Sacramento. So you get interviewed and what are they looking for? I mean, are they looking for your sharpness that comes out in in an interview setting, just like it would for a different job? Yeah, I think so. With my job, a lot of times, if you're going to be working on camera with someone else, you'll go through an audition process. So they'll actually put you into the studio and they'll run through a mini newscast with the person that you might be partnered with. And then they have you read through a few things and they look to see how you guys get along because there are some people you hear a lot about like chemistry, which is, you know, in, in a lot of jobs, you know, can you work well together and would you be watchable together? There are some people you put them together and you're like, mm, that's just a weird combo. And then there are some people who it just seems very natural and you just kind of click. So that's one way people get jobs. The funny thing is I came out here and I never went through the audition process. And by the time I left, I already had the job offer, which was kind of a warning sign, truthfully. <laughs> They're <laughs> so thought, desperate. Why, why am I not going through that? And, um, and I never had gone through it. And, and the funny thing now I know in retrospect was the owners of the station at the time were in the process of getting ready to sell the station. And so the job that I was coming in for was a weekend morning show, one anchor. And what I didn't know was that the show was at that point five hours long by yourself. And so had I actually gone through the audition process, I might have actually discovered that. So I've always joked, I'm like, I kind of got bamboozled coming in here, (laughs) but it ended up being the greatest thing ever for me personally and professionally. Oh, it sounds like the uh, the Malcolm Gladwell talking about these amazing opportunities that you fall into. And now you have to grind for five hours, which is going to build your skills so much more quickly than someone who's 
picking and choosing their spots and getting three minutes of airtime a week. You're absolutely right. And, you know, as an endurance athlete, you know, it's, it's the time you put in. It's you got to go miles. five hour, five hour ride as every day. Malcolm Gladwell will tell you it's your 10,000 hours before you get decent at doing something. It's not an accident that you get good at something because you do it a lot. And so for me, doing that five hours, when I got here and all of a sudden I find myself on air going for five hours, um, I developed a stutter which I had never had before. I know. It's, it's the Sacramento stutter. Super glamorous. But um, yeah, all of a sudden, because five hours, it was in my head and, you know, it was just a lot. And so I had to figure out how do I get through this for five hours? And so I would take the scripts home after a day of, you know, sometimes struggling through it. And I would make myself read through them again till I could get through the whole thing and I could pace myself to be able to get through five hours of scripts by myself. You'd take the script home and read uh-huh. you'd read for five more hours. I would, basically. She's listening to this, mm-hmm. people. That's how you, that's how Super you do glad. it. You really want to get into TV That's now, how it's going you? on. That's how it's going on. Why are they only going for five to seven seconds? I think because it has to do with likability on TV. I think they have an idea of what they're looking for. It's a very... Um, kind of a harsh business. And in some ways, there's an entertainment aspect to it because there's a likability factor. There's an entertainment factor. Um, They can kind of tell if somebody has it. And they also know that it's probably about the amount of time a viewer is going to give you too. So it's a good test. You know, if you're flipping channels, how long do you stay on each of those channels Uh before you flip to the next one? Probably five to seven seconds. It might be good for the candidate to know that that first five to second, seven seconds better be kick ass. It too. better be. I mean, if that's all you got. <laughs> Start with your good stuff. Your first one's a rustling of papers and you're looking at your notes, then you're exactly. not going to make it. Exactly. That's funny. My friend uh, covers scripts for Hollywood. And so he gets a stack of scripts as his job is to read through those, write an analysis and then submit it. If it's good enough to pass his gate, he'll submit it to the the evaluator to see if they want to do something with it. He says he reads for about three or four pages on average of a 120 page movie. Isn't that just heartbreaking? And then it's I mean, garbage can. As a writer, isn't that yeah. just heartbreaking to think about? It's it's shocking. And it's sort of like, uh, you know, it, it gives the, the aspiring writer hope that there's that much crap that's so bad that he knows already. And this is like one of the most powerful people in Hollywood at a minor job. He's the gatekeeper to all the crap. And it's like you can't get past him. No one ever card? knows about I'm your thing. I'm the gatekeeper to the crap. The one of the most powerful people in Hollywood, <laughs> by definition, because he filters out way more than than the people who make decisions. I love it. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So five to seven seconds. Start with your good stuff. You start with your good stuff. Be compelling and be compelling and interesting. Quick. You could even fake a five to seven second thing, like breaking well, news. And that's and that's a good point because I think that that's where you get into trouble sometimes. Is is now, especially these days, it's very easy to craft and create yourself to appear a certain kind of way. Oh, um, yes. Social media. In all media. of our lives, social media, the, the idea, the, you know, your, what do they call it? A, um, your curated self. Mm, I've never heard that. <laughs> you haven't heard Thank that? Thank you. So it's the idea yes. that I, I tell you everything that I want you to know or that I think I want you to know, uh-huh. but it's not necessarily the reality of what your life's like. I see. That could happen in the dating scene. It could happen in the job market, the mm-hmm. interview scene. Wow. It okay. could be happening right now, but I promise you it's not. That's, you know, we're, we're, we're striving toward higher heights here at the Get Over Yourself podcast. Exactly. We're going to get down to the bottom of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you just took a flyer and came out, came out west. 
I imagine that's a, a big promotion due to the size of the market, right? It was. And I think moving to California for me was just a, a really great change. I had moved around a lot as a kid, but the mm. play, one place that I had never lived with my family was this far out west. And I just, I loved everything about California. You came out here by yourself at that I time? I did, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, now you got some uh, some some baggage. I've husband, got some baggage. kids. What, how did those come into the play? So I met my husband here. And um, on the set or was he? No, no, no. Oh, that's a no, 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 Um, no. He uh, had actually never, he lived in Sacramento as well. He, he'd never seen the news when he met you. He had never seen our local news. Oh, love it. He had never seen our local news. As soon as you learn that your eyes brighten and you're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, no, I was at a a neighborhood party where I didn't know anyone, but I happened to be there with a, a coworker from KCRA and, um, my friend Jeff Ranieri, who if you're from Sacramento, you might remember he was a meteorologist. And we were at the party and he said, you know, I've been looking around for you and uh, I found one I like for you. And that was how I met my husband. Who did Jeff said that? Uh-huh. Oh, what a guy. <laughs> it's kind of cool. That's incredible. Right? Yeah. And he just dragged you over there to some guy? Pretty much. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's how we met originally. And now you got, how old are the kids? So now we have two boys. We have a 13-year-old, just turned 13, and a nine-year-old boy. Two so boys. they old enough to wake up at five and nope. watch their mom on the news, don't no. care sort of thing? Mm-mm. Yeah, don't isn't care. that isn't that the normal norm? Pretty the much. Yeah, just, they're yeah. very, very unimpressed with me. Yeah. 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 Love that. So you said earlier that you hope you're better than at the start. You're doing the same thing you did when you were 19 years old. Yeah. And... How does that happen? What do you think you're better at? So I think that what's interesting in my business is how much it's changed in 20 years. I mean, technology has completely changed how we do things. So, you know, think back 20 years. We weren't, we had cell phones, but we weren't using them as communications tools. We weren't using them to the ability that we do. So now my job is just really different. It used to be that I came in, I read out loud for a while. I went out, I did a story. And then the second I got into my car, the day was done good, bad, or indifferent, the day was done. It didn't matter. And then the next day you hit the reset and you started all over. And now because of the technology we have with social media and all the different media platforms like podcasting or um, any kind of like live streaming, you're never really done. And you're constantly in communication. And so now we are much more um, gatherers and we have the ability to talk to people in a far more one-on-one kind of way, instant way than we ever did before. And I, there are a lot of things I really like about that. It's made my job really interesting because there was so much stuff that happened, like say at the Olympics, that you never saw on TV because you only had a very limited amount of time. Well, now I get to take you back behind the scenes and I can mm-hmm. show you some really cool things and you get to see us in a different kind of a way. And so that part of it has been really fun. Right. And the, the viewer now has access to so much more information. So has that changed the formatting of the, the the morning show? A little bit, because we know that they're not just watching us. They're watching us while reading something else. So what we know, <laughs> what? I know. So what we know is that if you... You mean, hear, they're, you mean they're, it's more background now? Is that what you're saying? It's, there are a lot of different sounds going on. I don't know that uh, one is more background than the other, but you're, but you have a lot going on. So right. what, what we know happens is the alarm goes off, People reach over, they flip on the TV, they pull out the phone or the iPad, and they start scrolling on social media while they're watching us or they're looking at other things. So, um, you know, I'll have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter open and viewers are 
messaging me or commenting on things like, why did you guys just say that? Or can you tell me more? And we're responding during the commercial breaks, we're having a conversation with them. So it's, it's a weird, but kind of cool thing that it's much more of a dialogue. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, you know, the, the flattening of media it's exhausting, seems to though, be, right? a, <laughs> it's exhausting. It's really disturbing. I have a lot of concerns about it. Just, I do just too. the diversion of the attention span as opposed to sitting down and watching the news and being fully engaged. Brad, I totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. What are we going to do about it? Where are we headed? Especially with your your kids coming of age now and they're plunging into this world so different than yours when you came up and had your afternoon show mm-hmm. and you sat in a room and read a script completely undistracted and so forth. Oh, that yeah, it's not happening. Here's my theory. My personal theory is um, when I was a kid, my mom smoked. And she smoked around us because at the time they didn't really know how bad it yeah. really, really was. And I think that in 20 years, I think I can, I can hear the argument right now at a Thanksgiving table. My kids are going to come to me and say, I can't believe you gave me unlimited access to an iPad. Do you know what that did to my brain? Or do you know what having, you know, Wi-Fi in the house was? I think they'll come back and say, you destroyed my ability to concentrate because you guys didn't have very strict parameters about that. I think that later on, we're going to know, I think we're already seeing that in the last couple of years, I think we're going to know that not having some um, stricter controls about our how we all monitor our access to these devices and to online platforms, I think we're going to know a lot more. <laughs> we're going to have the fallout. It's going to be another yeah. way for our kids to blame us for something. Wow, that's that's pretty heavy. It is heavy. Yeah, I I, I completely agree too. But I, it's going to take believe... a while to to figure out the smoke clearing and the damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my I always tell my boys the greatest gift that I think I will give you is a an attention span. So I am I'm a little bit more hardcore about turning it all off. And having, I'm, I have a lot stricter boundaries around that in my life these mm. days. Yeah, I told my kids. Of course, neither of our kids will be listening to this, so we can nope. speak freely about Absolutely. all matters. Of, nothing's off the table. I Who's said, your favorite? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I mean, uh, the, the you know, I, I told them over and over, like my main battlegrounds were going to be the screen time and the healthy food. Yeah. And so I'd com- I'd constantly offer commentary. I knew I couldn't control their eating habits, especially as they got older and older. But I wanted to make sure I was in their head, knowing like the consequences of your decisions. And go ahead, have fun, enjoy yourself. This sugar will go to your brain and affect mm-hmm. you adversely in this manner and that manner. And same with the screen time. And but you can't. It's like a it's like a force that you you really can't stop. I mean, some people can. I've heard. Right. Uh, I remember one of the prominent authors in the paleo scene was giving a, a talk at an event we organized. She's like, well, my rule is it's my house, my money and my food. And so uh, our kids eat total strict paleo. And I'm like, I went up mm-hmm. to her after her in a corner. I'm like, OK, come here for a second, girl. I got to talk to you. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. She's like, oh, no. And I'm like, how do you do that? You're my hero. I, I can't do that. It's like an avalanche, over overwhelming the uh, you know the 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 high morals and values that we have as we're coming into parenting. Yeah, and I think some of the stuff you have to learn it on your own, or you're not going to learn it. You're just you're not. Um, right. I'll give you an example because I'm so with you on the sugar thing, and and I am. I mean, I'm not all into the keto thing, but I am into eating real food and not processed food and eating in moderation, a little bit of everything. But I'll give you, like, my kids, obviously, they're kids, they love sugar. So Halloween, you can eat till you puke. In fact, I hope you do puke because you're going to remember that. And let me tell you, you're probably not going to do that again. 
So I have let them on occasion, knowing exactly what was about to happen, I've let them go on that sugar binge fest and they feel it. And they're like, are you okay? I don't feel so good. Oh, why do you think that is? I think I might've had too much chocolate. Really? How much did you have? Oh, I had, you know, (laughs) however much. So I think some of it, like, especially, maybe it's especially with boys. I don't know. Maybe that's stereotypical, but I I have found that they got to figure that out on their own. Well, same with uh, enforcing these strict boundaries and controlling mechanisms for the kid's life. Like we all want our kid to be either valedictorian and or division one scholarship athlete. And we try so hard to orchestrate it. And it's so ridiculous. Now, now mm-hmm. I can look back, my kids are 20 and 18. It's like these best intentions. And of course, we want them to be happy and well-adjusted and balanced. So you should be uh, applying right now for that internship, uh, all that kind of stuff. Looking back now, I realize how how much less influence I really had than I think I did or hope that I did, and it yeah. sort of can give you a sort a sort of sense of relaxation or, or you know realizing that your kids are on their own path already, even at uh, thirteen and eight, and setting the example, uh, you know, walking your talk, that's a thousand times more impactful than whatever rules and regulations and uh, speeches you give them. Yeah. And I I remember a lot of things from being that age now. Like I could look back and say, I remember when I was 13, when my parents did this. I remember when I was nine and my mom did that. So now I have that in my head a lot of. Oh, what worked and what didn't. No, no, no. I just remember they're going to remember this. This is the one they're going to tell their wives that I used to do. So, (laughs) you know, what is it you want to be like? What kind of a parent do you want to be? Yeah. Perspective. A lot of perspective. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, if they're going to go and, and, and steal cars when they're 15, uh, regardless of your, you know, your, your best efforts, if that's their path and that's their destiny, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of self-determinism there that we have no control over. Yeah. That's scary. It's scary. It is scary. Yeah. 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 Mm. But, but I mean, I think your original point is like people have to learn things their way, not necessarily the hard way. Some, some kids, you know, I can, I can talk to my son about this or that aspect and he'll, he'll learn it and, and, you know, embrace it and, and, and take it and run with it. Uh, the importance of getting good grades. If you, Oh, you want to go to UCLA? Oh, do you know you have to get uh, straight A's? Oh shit, really? <laughs> and then he, he just took it and ran with it. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not all, it's not all parent orchestrated. Did you talk to your kids as adults? You know, like we, like like they were adults. Treat you know, them like people, adults. Yeah, yeah, not even treat them. But did you talk to them? Like, were you really frank with them about these are the realities? This is what you got to do. Or did you take a much more like uh, not controlling, but a little bit more of a helicopter view? Because I think that that's a big thing in our society as well. Ooh, that guiding your kid to be a certain kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I re- I recall um, having a lot of times where your your morals and values are up against. Uh, the reality and how to how to deal with immediate immediate day, and then having a little bit of a conflict there of, you know, um, I believe that academics should be completely self motivated and self driven, and they should pursue things for the the joy of learning without any parent intervention whatsoever. And then it's like, oh, okay, so that's maybe not working so good in this exact example here, and maybe we do have to go sit with this teacher who, uh, you know, downgraded uh, uh, the, the kid a whole grade because their their friend got in trouble and they blame them to, you know, this kind of thing where, you know, should I intervene? This coach is, uh, you know, directing some misplaced com- competitive intensity at my kid. 
do I need to do something about that or sit back like my values and beliefs think that mm-hmm. it should all be, uh, you know, left to the best devices. So you're, you're kind of like checking yourself all the time. How should I handle this? How should I handle this? Yeah. No, I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, we're in the helicopter parenting age. It's, it's gross. It's ridiculous. And so this is the 20 year, you know, the, the 20 year checkpoint, 20 years from now, we're going to be like, oh my gosh, these kids don't even know how to yeah. uh, change the oil in a car. I never did that either, but <laughs> you know, it's a great example for you old, older listeners. Seems like something you should know how to do. Right. Um, I just had Dave Coburn on the podcast. He's a parent of two uh, national, r- national caliber, uh, highly recruited volleyball players that both play for UCLA now. And he said, oh, you know, I didn't have to do anything. I handed my kid a ball when he was two years old and he started dunking on a plastic basket all day long. And his only regret was that he wished he'd made the kids read more because everything was all about sports. These kids were just consumed with sports and they were all American volleyball players and star basketball players all through high school. But it was interesting to hear him that he did nothing. He was a champion athlete himself and comes from an athletic family. But so many people wish for their kids what he got dealt in his hand of cards. Right. But he claims he had nothing to do with it. And it's a pretty strong message to say, if your kid's destined to be a division one scholarship athlete or valedictorian, my sister was valedictorian. I was not, nor was my brother. Uh, she was destined to be that way. And my parents just, you know, had hands off. And that was, those are the best kind of valedictorians. Cause now, now there's not just one, there's like nine or 13 and they right. all give a, a two minute speech. So you got 26 minutes instead of one kid <laughs> right. waxing on as we gaze over our stadium full of people and our opportunities for the future. But now with the nine valedictorians, you know, two or three of them are authentic, right? And then six or seven of them were orchestrated by parental massive social promotion of it. Right. Including writing papers and doing that crazy shit. You know, in the Olympics, that's actually one of my favorite stories these days is following the Olympic parents. Like I usually get to do like oh, the Olympic nice. moms Right. You dads. find them and interview yeah. them. Yeah. And, and it's always really fun to see it through their eyes and find out what they did because you have parents who are um, kind of like what you described. Like I'm thinking of um, Carl Westenberg and his daughter, Kendall Westenberg, was a skeleton slider. Um in the uh, Pyeongchang Olympics. And they're a family out of Modesto, great family. And their daughter was just like one of those great all-round athletes. And in college, on a dare, she went to one of those scout sessions for bobsled and skeleton. And they happened to be watching TV. They saw an ad for it. And her brother and sister dared her to go do it. And she did. And she turned out to be really great at it. So here's a really well-rounded person who just found out that they were kind of wired a little differently to go, you know, 100 feet on your stomach face first. And and it created this whole Olympic career. But but I remember him saying that, you know, we just kind of supported our kids. We gave them opportunities. We supported them. But we didn't do the work for them. Because you can't, I think... You can't teach people to do the work. You're wired one way or the other. You're either somebody who can apply yourself toward a goal and figure out how to get there, or you're somebody who has to be told exactly what to do, and you're probably going to do the bare minimum to get by. And that's uh, you, what you think that's people. you think that's unchangeable by parenting and and uh, environmental influence. I think you can learn it early on. I think once you're an adult, it's a very difficult thing to change for people. And I think that's why you see so many people who get hooked on fad diets and on weird exercise programs and who are constantly in this yo-yo of life. Oh, right. They need some sort of outside force to mm-hmm. get them focused or, or driven because there's no drive that's just in, innate. Yeah. And when you have that outside force, 
you never tap into your inner force to be able to see it through to fruition. And I think that that's the difference with people. Too deep? You know those Gretchen Rubin Four Tendencies? The, yeah. The popular book? There's the obliger, the upholder, the questioner, and the rebel. It's really fascinating to me to identify yourself as which one of those. And Wait, so, say, them, say them one more time. Well, there's the obliger. Mm-hmm. And Is that that's like someone, the yes person who just kind of uh, Well, like it's, it's obliging society. So they respond to external expectations. So they get to the job on time. They're, they're a good team player. The, the family can count on them. They'll help the, the, the aunt at the nursing home. They just respond to society's expectations. The upholder is that type A with the note cards and the super organized life, and they, they uphold to their own expectations. And then the questioner is someone who needs to know why all the time. They would get kicked out of the military quickly, right? But they're, <laughs> they're questioning, questioning, questioning. And then when they can get a resolution, they, they can go off and do it. And then the, uh, the rebel is the one who just answers to their own uh, beaten not off the beaten path and doing things that um, are not there. There's no expectations of uh, internal nor external. They just, they just go with the flow kind of thing. Interesting. Can you be a combo of those? Yeah. You have a, you have a combo, you have a dominant one, then you have kind of a, maybe a little influence of the other ones, but most people can take the test at her website and find out which one. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. You're describing your what do you um, think career attributes, and what you're you you're going to be the um, the upholder. So you're completely self directed and motivated and driven. And then you happen to be a marathon runner, and all those things that are aligned with, you know, who's out there on the starting line running 26 miles. It's a ridiculous, crazy thing to do. And so probably that whole group is type A. One hundred percent or ninety nine percent. Yeah. And I, I got into this when I, you know, I was racing and having the constant battle between overdoing it, um, having that misplaced competitive intensity where I was racing some dork on the bike path because my ego got in the way of my best laid plans. And so I was always having to check that and realizing that this type A drive and oh, that's so you're so motivated. How do you ride your bike that far? How do you run that far? That stuff was a nothing. That was like a throwaway obvious one for almost everyone out there. And then the nuanced attributes that were really, really important that was going to be the difference between 10th and first place was to be able to regulate the gas pedal and have a little bit of this type B influence come in where I could really teach myself to relax and sit back on the porch and read a book and not feel guilty or anxious that I should be doing something or doing yet one more workout. So like bringing that other stuff in to take, take your natural strengths but then take it to the next level. And so like the next level for me was getting over myself, right? And just going out there because I loved it. I loved the challenge, but not um, not getting too caught up in it. Right. Yeah. I mean, how does that sound for... I, so I, for me, I, I'm, I'm struggling because I know you and I have had this conversation just personally over the years. I got into a lot of the endurance stuff because I met people like you living in this area and interviewing Olympic athletes. I would hear about all these incredible things they did. Seriously? Yeah. You didn't have this going when you were a kid, high school running or anything? No. My my athletic sport when I was in high school was Irish dancing. Oh, well, that'll get you in shape. Indeed it did. No joke. Yeah, no, I did. No jokes allowed or Snickers. (laughs) You want to go try an hour of that? Yeah. yeah my no. cousins did that in competition. That's serious that stuff. Was, that was yeah. my thing. My parents are both from Ireland. Yep. Yeah. Here we go. 
Uh, my parents are both from Ireland. Oh. And so when they moved our family to Texas, they joined up with the little, you know, Irish Cultural Association, which was like a euphemism for drinking club with people who came from the town you were from. And so the, all the kids got thrown into this this Irish dancing class. And then we would travel around to competitions and our parents would get together and kind of party for the weekend. So that was what I did. Um, I did a little bit of track. and I did track and field my freshman year in high school. I was a relay runner and I was really fast. I got put onto a team with a varsity, onto a varsity team, and I couldn't take the pressure being with older girls. And so I quit. So I never did any sports really in high school except for golf. You know, that was, that was my competitive sport. So I don't know. It's funny. Like I didn't do any of that stuff growing up. I got into marathons on a dare in my twenties on a dare, somebody dared me to do it. And I followed through and I did it. And that was how I got started in it. So then when I moved to California, all of a sudden I was in the, the land of endurance and living in Northern California, you're surrounded by people who are doing interesting things. And it just kind of became a fun way to kill the afternoon because keep in mind, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting off of work at one in the afternoon. Everybody else is still at work. And so I would go out and I learned how to swim and I learned how to do triathlons and you know, I guess my type A personality, you start stepping it up and stepping it up. So you start with a, a short one and then you go to maybe like a half Ironman. And then the next thing you know, you're training for an Ironman. It just becomes kind of a way to kill time. And it's <laughs> kind of fun. You meet interesting people and it's pretty because you're outside all day. Okay. Question. If if there was a way to kill time for me, if we had to trade places and I was up at 2.45 and cranking through the news and having that brain firing at the highest level, I think a nap would kill a lot of that afternoon Doesn't time. Doesn't do it for me. No nap. Mm-mm. You're no, not a napper. Not a napper. Mm-mm. Okay, so back to your schedule. You're up at you're up at two thirty, two forty five. Yeah, two. You're, yeah, two thirty. You're reading. You're getting getting into the mode. Mm-hmm. Then you're here. When do you go on the air? Four thirty. Four four fifty. Right. And then you're what, you're off the air at eight or nine now. I'm off the round. We're done by nine, and then I move into other projects. Oh, so like the podcast Do or the podcast special, or, special, yeah, um, special projects, you know, if it's an Olympic year, you're working on Olympic content. So yeah, variety of things. Hey ladies, you may have heard me talk about gains wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function. And maybe you thought, Hey, what about my needs? Well, gains wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called gains wave for her. As with the male Gainswave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gainswave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage 
of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training in all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. And then you're out here at one or something? Usually lunchtime. Yeah. Around noonish. And no nap needed? You're fine? I don't nap. I don't nap. And then the kids come home from school and your mom for many hours? And then I go into being told I'm the worst mom in the world, which, you know, means I'm doing it. Perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Perspective. Ooh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I remember reading something that kids... Uh, they want to push up against boundaries. That's part of their their growth. They want to ident- you know they want to discover who they are and form their own identity. But they're looking and and welcome the boundary deep down. I think they, that's or they true. they need the boundary. Mm-hmm. So the kids who are you know uh, permissive, they can do whatever they want. They're they're missing that thing and they're looking for it by pushing the edge, pushing the edge, pushing the edge, looking for the edge. Oh, the parents are goofing around and uh don't don't have that ability then they're right it's they're, they just keep pushing the edge oh i think that's totally true and i think we all think back to when you're a kid you probably can remember the friend you had in school whose parent let them do everything and you know they had no rules and you're like that's the kind of parent i'm going to be and then life happens and you realize you just said something that your mother once said and you go oh well here we are oh. <laughs> So I, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I think, I think most of us want some boundaries to know that we're staying the course and we're going the right way. I think kids probably thrive on it. You know, Mm. they, they thrive on the same things that we do, eating well, sleeping well, getting good energy, having some positive feedback, trying things, failing things, learning things. Sounds so simple. And having fun. It is pretty simple. Yeah. Allegedly. Okay. So you got into this endurance thing. Mm Mm-hmm. 
How many marathons you done? How many triathlons? So let's see, 20, 21 marathons. Wow. Yeah, 21. This As of next month, it'll be 21. Oh, does um, that mean you're assuming you're finishing next I month? I am. Well, listen to this. There's no listen assuming. to this positive self-talk. As of next month, it'll as be 21. Yeah, no, of course I'm going to finish. Um, CIM? What is it? Yes, yeah, That's CIM, the big California race National in Sacramento, Marathon. folks. Yeah. yeah, so uh, that... How many times have you done that? I think 14. Oh, my goodness. Are yeah. you, is there like a cameraman uh, no. run, running next to you on the scooter or something? Mm-mm. It's just, no. just an anonymous person in the pack? Just me, just another... Yeah. Sweaty middle no report at mile 13. No, no. nothing. Nope, nope, You're not going to nope, mix nope. business with suffering? No. no. Okay. No. Just out for fun that day. But that's your favorite run? I do. I like yeah. it. You know, I love the idea of running through your community. I love that I know every inch of the course. I love, I'm on the board that helps put it together. So I'm really proud of what we do with it. It's a we're it's incredible race. Yeah. yeah. And it, we generate a lot of money for youth fitness programs, which I'm very passionate about. And I know you are too. Um, and for other like running and fitness related causes in the community. So yeah, I've done that. Uh, done a c- bunch of half Ironmen. And then I've done, I've gone to three Ironman competitions and I've finished two. I got kicked out of one of them, but that's. Oh. Yeah. Um, for uh, profanity or. No, just for not failed being. Failed doping test. Not being what? good enough, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> finished two Ironmans on yeah. a felt bicycle. Just pedaling away. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so does that give you some type of balance to the extreme intellectual mm-hmm. challenge of your career, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think probably it's it's a stress relief. I love the idea of um, being kind of comfortably uncomfortable. I like the suffer fest. I like that feeling of pushing yourself and knowing that you still have something left to keep going. I think when other things in your life get hard, you can remember and, and think, oh, I remember how crappy I felt that day. I got through it. So I'll get through this. And so I, I think I get a lot of balance out of it. But I think for me, probably the biggest thing is it's a reset after a stressful day. If I come out of here and my, my brain is about to explode from being in a newsroom all day long, which is just like a high sensory overload most of the time, I go out and I run and I sweat and it's gone. And to me, it's that mental boost, re- reset, start the rest of the day, get into family life after that. Uh, but the battery power to me is a question, like, how can you do it all? It's there's, is there a, a, another component of pure stress relief where you sit in the garden for half an hour and uh, knit or hit the sauna or something? (laughs) I read, I'm a big reader of, of reading for Mm non-work-related reasons, fiction or something. Really? Uh Wow. So she has time to wake up at 2.45, crank out many news channels crank out big mileage, read for pleasure, parent your kids. Then you crash out at 8 p.m. or what? Crash out between 8 and 9. Serious. Mm -hmm. So you're down. I'm down. Lights out. I fall asleep in 5 to 10 seconds. (laughs) You've been to the... She did a sleep story at the sleep center. No, it drives my husband insane because he's not a great sleeper. And so literally, like, I I put my head down, I'm out. Wow, that's Mm -hmm. interesting. I mean, it's got to be related to... The amount of, Exhaustion. you know, the volume of <laughs> volume of work you did during the day of brain um, and body. I, I don't know. I mean, it, or maybe I'm just wired that way at this point. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but it's probably the reason why I've been able to do this job, this shift for as long as I have, you know. I right. I don't think an average person could take this. I don't yeah. think an average person should. I mean, I don't, yeah. I'm not saying it's a healthy way to yeah. live. I'm just saying it for me, it's worked. I did an interview <laughs> recently. Works for me though. <laughs> I did an interview recently with a psychiatrist for a story, and she was asking me a lot of questions about about the time I get up and how much sleep do I get and what do I do. And 
after she had asked me about six questions, I thought, is she diagnosing me? <laughs> like, I felt like I was getting grilled. So finally, I just said, I feel like you're, you're studying me or something. Um, are you trying to figure out, like, what's wrong with me? And she goes, oh, I know exactly what it is. I said, well, what is it? She said, oh, you have this trait we call resiliency. And she said that in certain professions, they put people through these personality tests to figure out, like, like for example, in medical school, everybody goes through the same basic courses, but to figure out what's a good specialty for you, they do, they do some sort of a, like a test and it figures out your ability to react to certain types of situations mm-hmm. and like, who's going to survive and who's going to thrive and who's going to like fall flat on mm-hmm. it. There's nothing wrong with it. You're just, you know, meant to do one thing over mm-hmm. another. And so for people who want to work in like an emergency room, you need this resiliency factor because you're the one who's going to, oh man, here's another case that just came in and I haven't slept for 24 hours. You're, you're on it. Your adrenaline is fired. You're you're clear thinking. You're ready to go, and and somebody's going to be better suited for that than say they might be for like dermatology, where you're going to have much more, uh, just as challenging, but just different kind of schedule that would come along with it. So she said, she said, oh yeah, you, you've got the resiliency thing. That's exactly why you've been able to do it as long as you have. And that's I've heard talk about it, the resiliency gene, which seems to make a lot of sense to me. That this I is just so. how you are. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just how I am. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. I think your kids seeing this example their whole lives will have a profound impact on them, but it may not, if it's, if it's not a lineup of genetics and environmental support, it might just be, everyone's different. They may want to go a completely different thing thinking, I watched that for Or be a different years. person, just yeah. how they are. I hope they are yeah. a different person. Right. I don't want them to be like me. Yeah. How boring yeah. would that be? Yeah. And also- Two of me would not be good. <laughs> One of me is plenty. Well, you know, on on a, on a serious note, like we already have a sufficient number of um, CEOs, uh, uh, brain surgeons, uh, elected representative. You know, the high performing, successful. Mm-hmm. We have a ton of wealthy people that are living in the giant houses. None of them are vacant. So, you know, I think the kids should be free to, you know, not have to ascribe to some expectation of society and figure out what works best for them. And I, you know, I turned down a, a, a nice steady paved career path because I wanted to be an athlete and it was much more of a struggle and it was difficult and there's all kinds of repercussions and trade-offs that you have but I feel like I had no choice at the time like right. and it's sort of like you have no choice to you get off work and you need to clear your head right you need to go put in a quick 12 on the bike trail instead of mm-hmm. uh <laughs> sit in the salon or take a nap well and for some people that nap is exactly what they need. Right. And that's, that's fine. And, and, a, and a beer and Monday night football with all the commercials. Exactly. Like, it would kill me. To, to, <laughs> I mean, I, I took my son to his last college football game. I go, dude, I'm out. We, we used to go every year on a road trip. It takes four hours in the stadium. Right. I'm like, this is it. I can't, I'm not wasting another day watching these guys smash into each other. Isn't that funny? Tough. But I think that that's like your evolution of, of yourself as a person is you got to figure out like, who am I? And that's one of the nice things I think about getting older is you start to realize, oh, mm. that's who I am. I'm really not that person that I thought I wanted to be. And you have to figure out, like, how do you want to do your life? How do you want to do life? And for me, this is how I want to do life with a little bit of everything, not a ton of one thing over the other, mm-hmm. and hopefully some balance um, and and fun, too. I mean, my, my husband and I talk a lot about that. Like, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be really? in 10 years? I used to hate wow. that conversation. And now I'm like, where do you want to be in five years? What do you want to be doing? What else is good about getting older in the news game? It seems like the the there's a lot of 
news people that have extremely long stints? And is it because the audience becomes familiar with you and so they don't want you to get fired for fresh new blood or something? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I mean, Jim Hill, Fred Rogan, I got to go down and visit my parents in LA. Jim Hill and Fred Rogan are doing the sports. I know. They did it in high school. I know. And Jim Hill looks the same. Fred Rogan looks like is he's had many different hairstyles tried on and he's one of more most, tan or something. He's but. one of the most remarkable people I've ever watched work. Can I tell you a funny story about him? When I was in Sydney, so it's my first Olympics, my first like huge, big, international, like a lot of pressure kind of job. And I just had the best time ever. And I was watching Fred Rogan doing reports for L.A., And he saw an athlete, he's standing up on top of a building and he sees an athlete down below who he'd been looking for. So he took a microphone cable and he connected a couple cables and he lowered the microphone on live TV down to the sidewalk so that somebody could do the interview. And then he yelled the question so that they could get the person on TV. And then he grabbed the cable and pulled it back up to the top and finished his report. And I thought, that is <laughs> and I think I tell that story to, to our newer people or our interns. I said, there's always a way. There's always a way to figure out like how to fix a problem mm-hmm. or how to get something done. So you have to think in a really creative way, whether you're an athlete or you're a journalist or you're a doctor in the field and something just goes wrong. You got to figure out a way to problem solve it. And I think that's that's like the fun part of what I do. But I've never forgotten Fred Rogan lowering a microphone down a building to do an interview. Right. Because <laughs> 99% of people go, oh, he's too far away. He's I'll, too far away. I can't I'll, get him. I'll he's send gone. a text message to mm-hmm. the Olympic Village. Yeah. Right. <laughs> See if we can get him tomorrow. Uh, yeah. I'll try. Right. Instead of just make it happen. I'll do. Yeah, I'll do. Some people try. Some people do. Be a doer. So if you have a good inroads and a good start, is there an expectation that you can last for a long time in the market? I don't know. I mean, I think oh. there's, I don't think there's any like given. I mean, I, I don't. Oh, so I, do people come and go? Meanwhile, yeah. while we have some of our stalwarts, like. I think um, some, I think there is a, there are a variety of things. Um, I, I always joke. I'm kind of pleasantly surprised every day. The key card works when I come in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which some people are like, that's very pessimistic. I'm like, uh, Maybe well, even. it's a good attitude know. also. You yeah. don't take it for granted. Don't no, mail it in. I don't. I don't take You're anything You're still here at three something instead of yeah. 447, like, mm-hmm. you know, the average uh, long timer. No, I don't take it for granted. And I think I think there are a couple things that go into it. I think that the burnout factor with what I do is high. And mm. I think some people are, are wired to be able to go the distance and some people aren't. A lot of people after 10 years, 15 years are just ready for something different. And usually they're ready for a different lifestyle. They don't want to get up before the sun does, before like roosters do. <laughs> they don't want to work those kind of hours. They don't want to work holidays. I mean, I work basically every holiday but Christmas at this point. Um, they don't want to necessarily be in that environment. I mean, it's not an easy environment to be in for a lot of people. So mm. I think that's part of it. And then some of it is probably people, you find a niche in a community and it clicks. For whatever reason, it clicks. And so you have the opportunity to stay in a community for a long period of time, which is great. But then you have a lot of people who just kind of want to see different parts of the country or they're always chasing a different job or a bigger job. Mm. I just found the job that for me was the best job because it's a job that I've gotten to do lots of things with. I've gotten to travel the world. I've gotten to interview incredible people. I've gotten to try all kinds of different technology. I've gotten to work with some really good people who become really, really good friends. And so my job doesn't always feel like a job. Like nine days out of 10, I don't really feel like I'm working, like air quotes working. I feel like I'm going to a fun place where I hang out with some people in the middle of the night 
Uh, <laughs> we get to write and we get to play with cameras and it doesn't really feel like work. Mm. And then you have that 10th day where you're like, that was work. Mm-hmm. That was real work. Geez, we should record that soundbite for the, uh, the the college students that are trying to choose their career. Yeah. Because right? that 10th day, that's important to recognize. And I think we're, I sometimes feel a little bit like we're getting too much blather out there and, you know, uh, create your intention and visualize your path and it mm-hmm. will come to you and it'll be a dream and you'll be crushing it in, in no time. And it's I don't like, believe eh, that. Yeah. I don't believe that at all. I right. think you have to be very intentional about things and you have to set your own personal goals and you have to have your own standards for yourself. But if you don't have high standards for yourself, why is anyone else going to see that ability in you and just hand it to you? I don't believe in that at all. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And I also think that you have to advocate for yourself and tell people what you want to do. Mm. But you also right. have to have done the work. So it's right. not enough to just case. say... Make a case, but yeah. make a case based based on, um, what do they call it? The theory of the case. Like make a case based on what you've done and right. what you're working toward. And fair enough, if you're not ready for something, let somebody tell you, no, but I need you to do this. Right. And then go do the work. Right. But if you haven't done the work, the expectation that something will be handed to you, that's what I always had. I had a big problem with The Secret. Do you remember when The Secret came out? The Secret was what you were just yeah. talking about. It was a really popular book, probably like 10, yeah. 10 15 Nicholas years ago. Nicholas Sparks, Sacramento, California. <laughs> it was a little bit before that. But The yeah. Secret was this idea that visualize, put it out in the universe, and it's just going to show up for you. Oh, that. They, right. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah you know, sure. It was all yeah. over Oprah call, call in the one, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the mate of your dreams. That didn't make yeah. any sense to me. I mean, really? I'm just going to sit here? It's all going to come to me? Didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's not too funny right now when no. we, we we have this, uh, I, I'm not going to make any rational judgments, but um, it seems like there's some cultural forces in whatever certain age groups coming up and thinking that the, the world owes them one. Yeah, I don't believe anybody owes you anything. I don't. I mean, I'm a first generation American, so I always had, there were high expectations in my house that you would try. <laughs> and And do try and do. And it didn't ever occur to us that we wouldn't. Wow. Right. No other option. No, never entertain the idea that, that we wouldn't try or that we wouldn't achieve things. Yeah. We might achieve different things than we set out to, but you would go out and you would at least try with Um, good effort. Is that going to, your kid's going to have that takeaway as well? I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Um, You know, I I try to emphasize things like, I try to emphasize effort over the outcome, Mm. you know, and I I coach kids now in middle school running, which was like, man, that was an education for me and how to motivate people. Uh Uh-huh. Some, some very difficult. Middle school. Middle school is like, Good luck with that. Yeah. Well, I'm into a year two with it. I'm starting to kind of figure some of it out, but, but emphasizing the, the effort over the outcome for me, is a really great analogy for life mm-hmm. because we don't always get to the destination we set out for, but the journey can be what we make of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's just kind of how I choose to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashley Merriman, author, co-author with Poe Bronson of uh, Top Dog and Nurture Shop, they were really big on that exact statement. And she said, I have a little nuance to There's add There's another now. book I can't write. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but this, you know, this honor and the effort, there's a Japanese saying, Doryoku, I did a whole podcast about it, where they, you know, the, the, there's the honor and the effort, that's the most important thing, rather than, you know, judging yourself by the outcome. Mm -hmm. um, and Ashley Merriman added that we want to have that effort, but we want it to lead to improvement. Because now we're having uh, to, to look at just making the effort is not good enough, you might get your ass kicked, but you got to make an effort evaluate what went wrong, what you can do better. Just like with making your case for the promotion, they say, no, sorry, because you're really weak on these certain things. Go work on those. So you're making an effort, making an effort, but it has to be directed toward constant improvement. Yeah. Yeah. I, we, we have a lot of interns in my business and I will help anyone who tries. If you come into me and you ask me for help, I'll help you. And if you try, I will help you so much. Wow. But Isn't that cool? I mean, listen, so many people want to break you, in. Yeah. And, so ask yeah. for help. Right. Don't expect that it's going to be handed to you, but ask for help and be listen, be willing to listen to true criticism mm. because criticism, true criticism is constructive. You know, so I... I What's am, that now? True criticism? I think true, truly like, oh, like good criticism. Authentic criticism authentic that's, criticism, that actually yeah. is, is I don't based mean, in... Uh, Good judgment. Right. So yeah. I don't Legit mean... Legit criticism. We'll I don't it. mean criticizing just to, to take somebody down, but to say that it's doesn't... Legit. Yeah, like yeah. that doesn't work because that subject does not go with that verb. That's a fact. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? So take it that way and learn from it and move on. But I, anytime anybody comes to me and they, they really want to learn, it, to me, that is so much fun to help mm. somebody figure those things out and to help them grow. And so that that is one of those things within my business now that I truly enjoy. So you talk about, you know, having longevity in the career and what do you enjoy? I love that. I love the teaching part of it. And I love teaching the context of what we do and why, why it's important and why it's important to know that you've kind of gone all in and to do everything right and to do it to the best of your ability that day. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I like that when you said the 10th day is really rough, mm -hmm. but those nine days, I think we also want to put proper focus on that, that it should be, it should feel like fun. It shouldn't feel like work or a grind. It should feel like a good fit and you're feeling uh, rewarded and uh, just having a great time along the way. But also knowing that, that part of it's not going to be fun, but it's, you know, a big picture perspective. Yeah. It's unrealistic to expect it to be fun all the time. Right. It's not life. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's yeah. not life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to finish with this Olympic thing. Yeah. And what, you know, being around those athletes and the whole pageantry and what impact that's had on your life. And the, I'm sure it's motivating and inspiring and all that. But you started in Sydney and you haven't missed a single one. You've been summer, winter pattern. Yeah. So, so it's just, yeah, so it's, 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 it's a huge part of your life because you're building up, mm -hmm. winding down. And then there's another Olympics mm -hmm. coming up. What's next? I can't even keep track. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Tokyo, Tokyo, uh, summer, yeah. summer Olympics in Tokyo. I, I don't know. I, I love I love everything about the Olympics, and yet there are certain things I hate about it too. You know, there there's the oh the bureaucracy. The real, yeah, the, you know, yeah, I know, yeah. and I know you probably hate it yeah. too, having come from an athletic background. That part of it I don't. That part of it I don't like. But I do love the idea that people pursue these goals in sports that don't get a lot of attention. Like, forget the big name sports, like your gymnasts, your swimmers. Oh, you're not worried about Olympic golf as a big... Oh. <laughs> I think they'll be fine. Who won the gold medal. Yeah. But I love these... I love the people who pursue things like the bobsled. You're not making money in the bobsled. You're doing it purely because you love it and purely because you want to represent the country and purely because you love 
the feel of going down a bobsled track. And they don't make a lot of money. They have a lot of sacrifice. They put their adult lives on hold for sometimes a decade mm. to pursue the goal. They get attention in our country for like two weeks. Well, your <laughs> segments are back. four to seven minutes. So. I know. Then they go back to, you know, kind of a life in obscurity. And I, I don't know. There's something about that that I just love. I love following the stories. I love knowing how they do it. I love knowing the people around them who support them to be able to do it. I love how everybody gets into it for a while. <laughs> I love the stories. So the nature of your stories are trying to dig to get some personal insights from the athletes? Yeah, or what does usually, it look like? Some of it is trying to explain what the sports are to people who oh, aren't yeah. familiar. I mean, you probably, I'm guessing, I might be stereotyping. You don't sit around and watch curling all the time. I am a huge fan of curling, thanks to the the Sydney brothers in in Lake Tahoe, <laughs> some some of the world's <laughs> finest curling yeah. enthusiasts. And I've done one uh, open uh, training curling session for for all comers in Lake Tahoe. You can come every Sunday afternoon see, in South see, Lake Tahoe. I just I just lost that bet yeah. right there. <laughs> Fascinating the sport, yeah. But I love yeah. it. But I love that that's what they do. I love that they go yeah. out and they do that. I think that's yeah. just awesome. So I love the, I don't know, I love the backstories. I love following them. I love um, kind of handicapping them to see like who's going to mm. go the distance and actually yeah. make it. And then when some of them are lucky enough and good enough um, to have it all come together on that one day and they win a medal, I love seeing them afterward and seeing how it just kind of changes something in them. It's mm. just a really cool thing to see up close. Well, keep it up, Deirdre. We Try. love what you're doing here in Sacramento. And I, I didn't realize you were getting out to 30 other cities. That's so funny. Isn't it? Yeah. It's like the the rappers when they do their little plug for, yeah, you're listening to hip hop Cincinnati, 8372. <laughs> this is, you know, this is Tupac or whatever. They Someone got him in a room and he recorded probably 100 of those. I've yeah. done that. I've yeah. done that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for thank you for uh, for getting it done. I don't even know what the theme of this podcast was. It was all kinds of life of lessons and reflections, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me know if you come up with a common theme because I couldn't give it to you right now. I'll work on it. And I'm kind of the was, queen, of, queen of the copy edit, and I'm not sure I could edit this one. I know. I wanted to get you out of the the high production realm that you're in and just relax and talk. That was my goal. So, and our podcast was great because I remember going off on a lot of tangents and then listening to it. It sounded like we were keeping to these themes, and you're like, "Oh, tell me about the writing again." Oh, yeah, the writing. <laughs> I know we're trying to focus on speed golf, but okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Dun, 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 dun. KCRA, where the news comes comes first. first. Unless, of course, you're listening to the podcast, which is dying to ask. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That thing is so sharp. I love it. I listened Thank to you. Andretti and uh, the the author lady and... You yeah, got some. T- tell us about the uh, the theme of it. It's such a cool theme, too. So the theme is, um, and maybe this falls into what you were just asking me about with the Olympics. I love the art of the execution. Like everybody's got ideas. I have ideas all day long. I have so many ideas. <laughs> I have zero follow through because I'm doing oh, all that other stuff you were talking oh, about. Yeah. So I, our our theme with dying to ask is, why are some people able to actually pull off the goal? So they come up with the idea. They make. They see it through to reality. How did they do it? And how can I learn from the way they approach that goal? Right. And you get these people trapped in this room right here. I trap and them, go, Brad. And you go at them. I mean, we you have these questions that are leading to the insights. So that, that goal is always in the background of trying to pull what out, what makes them special. Yeah. Yeah. What makes somebody yeah. different? And like, why were they able to do it when so many other people just kind of talk about it? So now you're in for what, a dozen shows now? Yeah, we're about a dozen in. Yeah. What do you, what's coming out for you of 
these disparate peak performers too. There's no category. They're not like no. health people or whatever. No, they, they all yeah. tend to be people who have kind of a platform of some sort, you know, so we have authors, influencers, athletes, just, you know, different types of people. But I found that like everybody who has pulled off something has got a really great backstory behind it. Mm. Everybody's got a really awesome story. So like we have an upcoming episode with a, a woman named Alexis Del Chiaro. She has a website called What the Fertility, w- <laughs> WTF. Really clever, right? And it's it was all about her um, d- struggling through infertility and then being surprised with an adoption, how the adoption came about. And then a week later, she found out she was pregnant after being told she never had a baby. So, you know, it's things like that. A little bit of everything. How do you find these people? Um, they're, they're not necessarily Sacramento. No, no. A lot of times I will read about them or see, see them and listen, I'll email. People, you get up at three 30 in the morning and start reading. I know. Great things I, happen. <laughs> great things happen when you read books. Um, I will, I, I email them and most of the time they email back and they say yes. So a lot of times it's just reaching out to people and it kind of gets back to what I was just saying. Like people will help you if mm. you ask. Mm. People want to say, people usually want to say yes more than they want to say no. These kind of people that are doing something great, I find I the same so. thing. And I remember reading, uh, there's, uh, oh, it was like Ferris or one of the prominent podcast hosts said he has a better success rate with A-list celebrities than random people when he's inviting them onto the show. Like they're like, sure, Ariana Huffington, sure, Tony Robbins, yeah. sure. But then, you know, people that don't have their act to go, oh, I'm too busy. Sorry. Yes. I don't want to pa- I'm going to pass on that. Thanks you anyway. being busy. That's so true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And, they, and then they're really, they're generous with their time. Right. And I think it's because, especially with podcasts, podcasts are such an interesting, like anybody who's listened this far into this podcast, wants to learn something. And I hope you've learned something. I don't know if you have or not for me. I have. Yeah. You have? Okay. Yeah. Um, That's all that matters. <laughs> There's um, listeners out there, but, but the, you guys do what you want. I'm, yeah. I'm into it. I, I think that like podcast listeners are so different than even my TV viewers or your book readers because they come because they want to get information. Mm. And they want you, they want to end that podcast having come away with something that they can then apply to their life or not apply to their life based on what you've told them you've experienced. So I think that's why people, when they, they, they agree, like those A-listers agree to do your podcast, they love getting that message out. And they love that people really want to hear the backstory of it and not just the really short soundbite. Dying to ask. Dying to ask. You find it anywhere podcasts are produced. All your usual podcasty places. Fun stuff. Mm-hmm. With Deirdre and your partner, Jeff. Jeff Mayfield, producer Jeff, we call him. So he's he's producer guy, but he's like also in the in the uh, in the dialogue sometimes. Yeah, he didn't plan on that, but I just kind of made that. Do you look for opportunities? You I'm find a utility out. person. I saw an opportunity. Utility player, so Sacramento. <laughs> Deirdre Fitzpatrick, check out her podcast. Thanks, people. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves, because they need to. Thanks for doing it. Hey, how about a backwards commercial? Are you ready? 
So go to OrganifiShop.com and enter the discount code BRAD for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I Shop.com. Why would I do something as silly as a backwards commercial? It's because I'm positive you have to try this stuff. Trust me, order some now. It's going to change your life. Organifi is an organic superfood supplement company. They're known for their greens. You take them when you travel, get all your nutrition. But I like their top secret, Organifi Gold, warm relaxation beverage. This is the single best tasting tea you will ever try in your life. So if you want something soothing, delicious, nutritious at the end of your busy, productive day, pour yourself a scoop of Organifi Gold. What's in there? Turmeric, the anti-inflammatory superstar is the base. And then, listen to this, smooth coconut milk, cinnamon, ginger, lemon balm, and two super mushrooms. It's legit. It's delicious. Check it all out at OrganifiShop.com. And don't forget to put in Brad for 20% off. Try Organifi Gold if you're not totally satisfied. Send it back to me, and I'll keep it. 